Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mouse Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaron. What is up, guys? Today, we will be getting into the Mavericks 124-95 to loss versus the Boston Celtics. The Mavericks' seven-game win streak has been effectively snapped. A win streak that, amidst many flaws, was still pretty impressive given the limitations that were put upon the Mavericks and how injury-riddled they were. Um, but I think that this was possibly the most predictable, predictable way that this win streak would end uh, coming against the Celtics. We predicted that the Mavericks would get blown out in the last pod and look at us. It came into fruition for any of you guys who stay at the end of the podcast for betting odds or whatever. Um, you know, you can literally get free money. If you listen to mainstream maps, there is free <laughs> money being offered up on a silver platter because the Dallas Mavericks, um, at least this rendition with them without their three best uh, defenders and Maxi Kleber, Josh Green, and Dorian Finney-Smith. You know, I, I hate to give credit to the TNT guys, uh, but I think Stan Van Gundy put it pretty good tonight. I mean, they're just I, – I'm not quoting him, you know, quote for quote, but he said something along the lines. They're just like severely limited personnel-wise, and they're just not going to be able to compete with a team like Boston. Um, the Mavericks were getting beat on – a plethora of single dribble moves tonight, uh, which in turn led to these Celtics basically being able to penetrate and kick at their disposal. Um, and if, you know, if that first person in the corner wasn't open, then damn sure the person at the top of the key or the wing was open. The Celtics, um, you know, barring when Robert Williams is on the floor, who is probably one of the best defensive um Bigs in the league from his switchability standpoint, even, you know, coming off that knee injury, I thought he still looked really good in some limited minutes tonight. They have the ability to play five out offense at all times. And yeah. all those guys have are switchable defenders. The Mavericks only really tactical thing that they did in this game in regards to uh, trying to attack the Celtics defense was pinpointing Sam Hauser and trying to distinguish him as a mismatch guy, but even he is really not that bad of a defender. You know, he could be, he's probably an average defender, maybe slightly above average at, at most. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely not just a complete liability out there. Um, and I know Dinwiddie was able to benefit off some drives and what have you um, early on that game. But besides that, uh, the Mavericks really didn't have too much sources of offense in a game where Luka Doncic was battling some, you know, some bruises and some, um, I was going to say bolts. I don't know why that came to that term came to mind, but we're going to say bruises and bolts. Luka Doncic, he was bolted up by the yeah. Boston Celtics. Um, he ended up coughing a lot in this game as the TNT broadcast wanted to mention about every five seconds. He, I think at some point in that first quarter, he, Jared Dudley uh, apparently told Jared Greenberg of TNT that, Luka Doncic had subsequently 
took a hit to his chest and thus he was coughing all game. He was dealing with his left ankle, getting tweaked early on in the game in this one. Um, just a lot of little uh, sort of tic-tac things that um, he had to sort of succumb to in this game. And when the Mavericks were down by 20 heading into the fourth quarter, Luka Doncic sat the rest of the fourth quarter um, in route to Jason Kidd opting to get him some rest. Probably a smart decision, especially as kind of banged up and reluctant as Luca looked to drive inside in this one, um, you know, getting him some well-needed rest after yeah. a basically two-week stretch of carrying this team from the absolute ashes. So, you know, it was a very predictable game, and there's a lot of flaws to get into, but at the same time, none of them are really new to this Mavericks team, especially this rendition that is injury-riddled and – basically just awaiting for their three best defenders to get back. Jaron, do you have any other uh, general takeaways before we go to the ad read and get, um, get on with this podcast uh, in terms of this game that we, you know, maybe I didn't point out or fail to hit on, you know, just any sort of things that you'd like to rattle off the top. Honestly. I mean, I think you hit it all. Like this was the most predictable loss of this sort of, seven game, eight game stretch, however you want to tally it. But uh, I know Tim Cato put out an amazing tweet that pretty much summed up everything. It was like, um, you know, I'm not going to be too mad about a huge blowout at home, but again, I'm not overreacting about a seven game win streak. And I think that just hugely pretty much sums up what this streak was and, you know, what this game meant. Cause I think, you know, last pod we pointed out like this, with just how, like how shorthanded the Mavericks are going, going up against Boston, uh, I mean, I, I just don't – a miracle would be needed to win in the first place. Especially with Boston coming out off a game where they were uh, – Boston's trap game seemingly came against the Oklahoma City Thunder yeah. two nights ago where they let up – they let a SGA-less Thunder score 150 points. On and their home court. I Yeah. And, I mean, Boston still has the the best record in the NBA amidst a, a rough 12 game stretch, which is what a luxury. Yeah. No, what, Massachusetts yeah. <laughs> individuals have up there. Um, but nonetheless, uh, th- it was just basically the, it, it was in the cards for the Mavericks to yeah. come out and lose this game amidst the seven game win streak in Boston, seemingly being pissed off after having played down to opponent. We weren't going to see that today. We knew that they would come out with fire and, play up to par and take care of business. That's the type of team they are. And that's the personnel that that team sort of commands. I mean, with the amount of uh, just the sheer, I guess, um, sort of diversity of their roster and their ability to, I mean, every guy on their team has the ability to play defense, switch, and create offense to an extent, at least all of their key rotational players. And I mean, I, I can't really, I don't think I can name on one hand. I, I don't even think it could, would fill up to one hand how many teams in the league can actually do that. Very, I think it's very, very scarce that you'll see really any teams in the NBA with that ability. I mean, Denver is, you know, up there, but even then they don't have that defensive switch ability. Yeah. That, I mean, besides really Time Lord, everybody in that lineup can switch onto a defender and can create offense for themselves to an extent. 
And everybody in that starting lineup, I think there's probably about four guys, five guys off the bench that can do that as well. I mean, this team is just so deep and they're, they're built for a deep playoff run to the very least. Yeah. Uh, But quite literally, I mean, for their best team in the league for a reason. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, that that's a great point you make. Um, but you know, regarding the Mavericks seven game win streak, you know, we kind of mentioned that it's just basically the perfect storm ensued for the mm-hmm. Mavericks um, in terms of their strength of schedule being very weak, and you know, them just having an opportunity with Luca obviously probably hitting the climax up to this point of his career in terms of how he's played, um, really looking unguardable. And, you know, any adjective that you could apply in terms of being great, you could, uh, I would probably deem applicable in terms of how that stretch was. And, you know, we still saw this team time and time again, letting up a lot of points and squeaking out these wins. Um, You know, that's not to negate the Mavericks seven game win streak, but, you know, while it was the most wins that this franchise has had in a row since 2011, it, you know, it wasn't the most earnest and well-earned seven game win streak. And I really don't think that that's um, subjective by any means. I think that's, you know, pretty objective. And I think that that's pretty fair. You know, if you have any debates about that, then at that point, you know, uh, I may have to label you legacy media and throw you into the Homer dome, but uh, that's all jokes guys. But you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, we'll go ahead and get into these flaws, but this might be a little shorter than usual. Cause I mean, there's just how much more can we cover? I miss yeah. the injuries and what actually went on in this game. But before we get into this podcast, here is an ad from our sponsor anchor. All right, Jaron. So getting into this one, the Celtics basically led this game wire to wire. Was there any sort, was there any point in the game where you thought the Mavericks had any potential run in them or had any grasp on the momentum of the game whatsoever? So I think we're still waiting on this, but, you know, I I feel like there's one Jaden Hardy game where he's just going to score so much that it just gets us in the game. And I thought that'd be tonight because he started going off, but I would say like late in the fourth quarter was like the only slimmer of hope. And then very quickly, Boston just was like, okay, like, look, we're not toying around. Let's put this one away. Uh, but in regards to them, I mean, they just played a, an amazing game, wire to wire, pretty much as you said. Uh, and I, I can't really think of like a real shot that the Mavericks even had a chance in this game. No, I completely concur. Um, and it's very emblematic of how the Mavericks personnel stacks up against the Celtics personnel. I mean, this was basically like if you were to compare two teams on paper and guess exactly what was going to happen, you could guess it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this game right here, of course, uh, you had mentioned those Jaden Hardy minutes were, I mean, he was very quick off his, uh, off the dribble. His first step was really explosive. And I think that, you know, at that point in the game, admittedly, some of the Celtics defenders had kind of yeah. st- started to become a little more lackadaisical because, you know, he was getting by, he was blowing by Marcus Smart and Derek White and Grant Williams like it was nothing, which, you know, I don't know is necessarily fair to expect of him. Uh, consistently but the fact that he was able to come in and provide a little bit of a spark and score 15 points and I believe really only like what like less than 10 minutes the 15 minutes or 15 minutes yeah um I don't know why I thought it was that little but (laughs) anyhow um I mean it was 
really impressive from that standpoint, especially against the best team in the league. Yeah. You know, as the youngest guy on the team to co- go out there and spearhead sort of a not a run that would you know stomp or you know stamp the Mavericks and you know really furbish their place in you know trying to actually come back versus the Celtics. You know, there was none of that going on, but the fact that he was able to, you know, really catalyze just sort of a little late game push to, you know, basically avoid losing by 40 versus 30 was, um, and, you know, just the whole dignity and respect of, you know, having your end of the bench guys try late in games like that matters to, to an extent in terms of your identity of your team and the effort that guys are putting in. And for, you know, him being the youngest guy on the team coming in and doing that, um, that was really impressive. And I mean, I hope that he, you know, with this performance, maybe earned himself, you know, at least a few minutes in the rotation. Cause I think that, you know, we'll get into the rotation and what have you more when we do our podcast in a few days covering the midway point through the season. But, you know, I, I think that it's pretty definitive throughout his tenure here that Kemba Walker and his knee issues have, you know, honestly perpetuated and gone down a darker path than I think even I first saw I thought he could at least come in and you know maybe every other game and provide 10 to 15 minutes but it almost seems as if like you know he gets five minutes every third game and that's the extent of what he's able to do and I mean he still looks very productive and like he could help this team but his knee really just is that bad which is really unfortunate and you know admittedly like I knew it was bad but I I guess maybe there was some sort of parting part of me that was hoping it wasn't that bad and you know I I think that we saw that to an extent um throughout his or we've seen that to an extent throughout his tenure here so far as a Mav so I mean the third ball handor is definitely something that's still sorely needed even when Kemba was here and playing well I still thought it was and I mean I think that there's a gap to be filled to an extent because I mean you know McKinley Wright he's able to provide some defense and he can, you know, fill a bit of that playmaking void to an extent, but he, you know, with his height and everything, he is kind of hard pressed to score without the, you know, um, without the threat of a jump shot. And that definitely Mm -hmm. has, I think, thrown NBA defenders. uh, You know, I, I think that that kind of limits what he can do against, you know, like, solid NBA defensive wings like they're you know if they read the scouting report they're not going to you know jump at that pump fake or you know really a uh, hedge on that hesitation or anything like that and they'll, they'll go back past him so the, there's still some uh, a gap there that's sorely needed and you know especially in a stretch where the Mavericks are as injury riddles as, as they are you know I do think that there's credence to the fact that Jaden Hardy should get a couple more minutes you know that's my opinion yeah. I don't know where you lie on that but I, I was interested to seek your opinion and, and just in terms of how good he's played. Obviously, we know there's going to be mess ups even in this game. He had a couple uh, dumb like rookie mishaps and yeah. you know, decisions where he went up with some shots at the rim where he clearly knew like it was clear from the viewing perspective, like the viewer's perspective that he was probably going to get blocked. But, you know, you write in, in a stretch where the Mavericks just don't have the personnel. They, I, I kind of view it as they might as well play him. Exactly. Just from yeah. the standpoint that you know, he actually could fill somewhat of a void on this team, even if it's not perfect. And he's getting NBA minutes, which are far more valuable than G League minutes. For sure. Uh, you know, I think Jane Hardy, I mean, like, look, 
there's a clear and honest, I mean, I think anybody in the league can tell you what the Mavericks need, and that's a third ball handler. Now, I'm not saying Jane Hardy fills that need at all, uh, but, you know, with the absence of Kimbo, with, you know, McKinley Wright's absence of pretty much just a jump shot in general, I mean, where else do you look? I, you know, and at that point, that's whenever I looked across the bench or look across the bench and, you know, Jane Hardy's right there. Yes, he's young. And I mean, like you pointed out just now, you know, he makes some stupid rookie mistakes like driving whenever he shouldn't on some defenders. But still, I mean, he's going to get those mistakes out of the way. And I mean, to be quite honest, I'd rather him just get blocked than not play at all. Um, I mean, it, it's a clear hole and it will continue to be a clear hole unless the Mavericks address it at trade deadline. But without that, or, but with being said, you know, this this team is injury riddled, you know, with green out, uh, Finney Smith, all of them like it, it creates roster spots open for guys like Hardy to play more than hopefully 15 minutes as a rotation. Uh, but at this point in the season, you know, I just like to I would like to see Hardy get more minutes than McKinley Wright. Now, not saying McKinley Wright's time uh, or I guess like rotation minutes haven't been needed or haven't been productive. Uh, but we've definitely seen a decline in his rotation, at least how productive he's been in his rotation over the last three, four games. Yeah, I mean, he was serving as a pretty good on-ball defender against, you know, the opposing team's best players. But, in, you know, in this last seven-game win streak, you have to take into account, like, uh, who the opposing team's best players. And, I mean, he wasn't yeah, even starting those, those players at, you know, a lot of the times he'd guard the second or third best, you know, perimeter point of attack player for the other team. And, you know, I'm not trying to discount his role. I think he was pretty productive and did what he could. But you do see the limitations upon him as a player. You know, he still is like 24. He still could develop a little. And I think um, that that's important to, you know, keep him around. But, you know, I honestly think that it, it we just could serve it more of, a, you know, as a role change. I mean, the Mavericks tend to play two guards anyways. You know, you yeah. can throw both of them out there at the same time. You know, one guy more defensive inclined, of course, and Hardy be more of that ball handler type but you know if, if of course if you need a good ball mover and a guy to run some pick and rolls on the weak side occasionally like go to right you know but he, I just would rather have Hardy in terms of the shot creation than just um the playmaking uh, aspect um well I mean honestly I'd probably run with right in terms of you know the playmaking but uh, you know, I would like to see Hardy get some more opportunities as a lead ball handler and some pick and roll scenarios. Um, just see how you can do. But I, I mean, you can still play them together. I don't I don't think yeah. necessarily that either one of them has to cost the other guy like, you know, guys minutes. You know, I think what the who would probably um, lose minutes at, you know, the uh, effect of those guys playing more would be like a Tim Hardaway Jr. or something like that. And I mean, those guys are in the Mavericks starting lineup are playing quite a bit right now. You know, yeah, they, no, they're having they could definitely serve to just get a couple minutes off them. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and transition to this game. Of course, did you know, just from the Celtics perspective, um, can you talk about how just comparatively different that the Celtics are in terms of the you know, their personnel and the way that they're they're able to operate stylistically, you know, both offensively and defensively? Uh, compared to the Mavericks, because I think that that's really where the uh, the bread lies in this game. For uh, yeah, I no, know, I made that <laughs> just, out of thin air, but throwing, hey, I, I mean, it's point, every podcast I got to make a new, a new <laughs> um, like stupid analogy. But anyways, 
um you know where does where does the bread lie in this game jaron where, where does the bread lie so yeah, um i mean where, the, where did the where lies. do the celtics um how is their personnel and you know the dynamism that sort of persists uh within their rotation having the ability to switch basically every player um to a certain degree yeah and um you know almost everybody in their main rotation's ability to create a shot how does that um bode for the mavericks because i mean the celtics like honestly don't even run a ton of plays they're just so free-flowing because Mm -hmm. of how good they were like you know so what did you notice about the you know just, just sort of the stark difference between those two teams yeah, so, I mean, if you look on the Celtics roster, I think outside of Robert Williams, everybody on that team has a three-point shot. So what that does, I mean, it's pretty simple basketball. It just You can play an easy five-out system. For the Mavericks, this hurts them. Um, you know, the Mavericks basically have to commit to one of either perimeter defense or interior defense if they want any shot at a decent defensive game. And it doesn't matter what you commit to, the Celtics can do – they can change it up and it doesn't matter who's on the floor. You know, Tatum, he's a guy who can shoot a three and he can also drive and score in any way he wants to. Uh, I mean, Horford, you know, he's a guy that can get a bucket down low. We saw him get some really tough buckets tonight and he can also go up and he can make a three. I mean, pretty much everybody on this ro- or on that roster is just so diverse in the way that they can score and the way that they can play defense that for the Mavericks to have so many one dimensional type players, like, Reggie Bullock, you know, he can only do so many things. Um, I mean, it automatically just opens up so much possibilities for that roster that the Mavericks just simply don't have. Um, I guess that's like the most base level explanation of it. But what they were doing so well this game was just easy. I mean, penetration and kicking out to the corners. I saw like multiple possessions like in a row. Uh, It was either end of the third or beginning of the fourth where it was corner three after corner three after corner three. Uh, it didn't matter if it was Horford, Smart. I want to say Brogdon a few times. Like there was maybe six or seven corner threes all in a row, just going back after Maverick stops and just getting an easy corner three. And they made like four out of the seven or whatever. Um, I mean, that just speaks to really the the personnel problems that the Mavericks have compared to the Boston Celtics. It's, I, I mean, I, I think that's pretty much where the problem lies. The Celtics, they're, they're built for like, having a 12 man deep rotation and the Mavericks just simply have at best like a nine man rotation. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, you talked about the Celtics being able to concede or the Mavericks rather having to concede to, you know, playing perimeter or interior defense. And I know that was kind of like base level, you know, without getting into like the certain yeah, yeah. defensive schematics of that. But I mean, you make a good point there um, without the Mavericks really having a true rim protector or any of their wings, um, you basically that they just don't have the personnel to be able to stack up and um, be able to cover all facets of those games. I mean, it's just unfair to expect that from this roster. And, you know, Christian Wood, while he, you know, of course, has had an improved rim protector and has been doing really good within the Mavericks scheme has you know, had these five block games against Houston and what have you, um, you know, you see against a good team, like what I'd been pointing out literally in our last podcast that he's not a true rim protector he is a big who you know once he has got a defensive scheme down has the ability to switch on to um you know fours threes occasionally um some twos and uh, slower footed point guards right 
and he can play good switch defense on them occasionally and get a block. But he's not a guy who's going to be able to sit back and drop coverage or even like a, a Robert Williams type where he can just switch on to some of the best centers in the league and, you know, just contest them and pound them into a ground defensively, like defensively all night. And I think that in this game, um, you know, we saw that to an extent, but it was obviously unfair of him to, you know, to ask him to cover or patch any of the Mavericks holes. Cause it's not even like the Celtics were necessarily getting a lot of points in the paint. It's like, yeah. you know, the Mavericks perimeter defense was so bad. Almost everybody out there, including Luca, who, you know, was pretty tiresome, you know, whether it be Dinwiddie, Hardaway Jr., um, Luca, Reggie Bullock. I mean, everybody was just getting beat instantly off the dribble. And it in turn led to a ton of three-pointers for the Celtics. I don't have the exact statistics pulled up in terms of how many threes the Celtics attempted, um, but I know that they attempted quite a bit and they were wildly efficient upon those attempts. And it almost seemed as if the Celtics could have, they could have played this game in a different way and still won, if that makes any sense. Like, oh, exactly. If they wanted to, to, if they wanted to defer to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, just creating and taking guys off the dribble and, you know, isolating and, you know, using their ability to get to the rim and pull up for mid-range jump shots. I'm sure it may have been, would have been a tougher, uh, more hard-fought win for the Celtics, but I, I really think that they could have still won this game doing that. I think the Mavericks were just severely out-talented, uh, and with the injuries, it was quite insurmountable to expect really anything less in this game from the Mavericks, um, especially from a defensive standpoint. I mean, they were late on all their rotations because – so many guys would have to come over and help from those shooters every time that somebody would, uh, you know, get into the paint because the Mavericks don't have the, you know, defensive backing at the uh, back half of their front court to be able to, you know, kind of diminish some of those drives where guys just get blown by. They don't have like a Miles Turner who can just step up and, you know, swat that thing into the stands. Like, you know, Christian Wood can do it in maybe one or two possessions, but that's going to wear on him. And, you know, he, he doesn't have the size to be able to do that consistently. And, you know, he obviously, with the amount of penetration that the Celtics were able to really uh, dive into in this game versus the Mavericks, it, it just really – you it's not like you can expect him to patch all those holes with guys getting beat literally every single possession. I mean, I know Frank had – a decent defensive possession or two. Um, but I want to say the Mavericks made, didn't really even get any like on ball steals in this game. Uh, there was like one play where Frank uh, poked it away from Brogdon and almost got it, but Brogdon recovered it. But, you know, we may have got a, we may have been the benefactors of a few errant passes and may have jumped the passing lanes a few times, but I don't recall like any just good man-to-man defense in this game outside of like a Frank possession or two. And, I mean, it just speaks volume to the Mavericks defensive personnel right now. I mean, not even Reggie Bullock, you know. Um, if, if things aren't just gelling for him completely at the offensive end, it, not even he can really get, um, you know, put his foot on the pedal and anchor down defensively. I don't know if that's an age thing or what, but, you know, we see this sort of continually persist. And um, against a good team like this, I mean, you just hope for the best, but it, it can get hard to watch a team at times. And, I mean, it was it was pretty expected in terms of the Mavericks' defensive effort in this game. No, for sure. I mean, I'm just looking at the center rotation here. The Mavericks, I mean, they're clearly limited to Dwight Powell and Christian Wood uh, at center minutes. And the Boston Celtics, they have Al Horford and Robert Williams playing the bulk of their center rotation. I mean, that's such a dynamic 
like one, two sort of center rotation. Al Horford, of course, he can make the three and also play a little down low and can play some really good perimeter defense. Um, and you look at, or he can just play defense in general, but you look at Robert Williams, he's more of the traditional center, big shot blocker, uh, gets his points down low and off the pick and roll. It, it Just to speak to Christian Wood, like it's such a different style to guard that, I mean, I don't really give him blame. I know um, he probably did the best he could, but uh, yeah, I mean, Robert Williams was held to three points and Al Horford eight points, like, and that's respective. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just, I saw multiple times where Dwight Powell was bullied down low, either on a trip, uh, either on a chip to clear up the lane for Tatum or Brown, um, or even on box outs. I saw multiple times Dwight Powell was just pretty much thrown around like a rag doll whenever he was on Robert Williams. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just some looks of the center rotation for both these teams. I mean, there's just a clear matchup that's better than the other. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, to, uh, and like in all fairness though, of course, like, Christian Wood and Dwight Powell, for that matter. I mean, both of them were having to come up and help so much. Yeah, yeah. drives. The Mavericks had to stack the paint by committee when any of these, um, when the Celtics would get any sort of penetration because every single guy in the Celtics can attack off a closeout. You know, even Horford to an extent, you know, he's slow footed, but he's real savvy. Like he can attack off a closeout because he just is so timely and quick with it and, you know, make the right read in a five on four scenario. There, you know, it's just, that, that's going to breed a lot of open three-pointers, uh, simply as it is, um, when you're not able to anchor down against these guys. And, I mean, I'm not saying that the Celtics aren't a tough guard or that even if the Mavericks were fully healthy that it would have been fair to expect them to win this game because it probably still wouldn't. But they would have at least, you know, with Dorian and Josh and Maxi out there, been able to limit some of these just, like, yeah. clear blow-by, um, you know, looks that the Celtics were – getting and the Mavericks had to basically concede all these wide open threes. Right. And it is very unfortunate, but the situation sort of is what it is um, in terms of, you know, offensively tonight, uh, the Celtics defense uh, conversely, um, you know, I know that they had a, a certain period of the time where they were like middle of the pack and they were kind of underperforming to an extent just because of how switch heavy they are. Um, I, I think the the versatility of Time Lord um, and how they ran their defensive scheme last year is still inherent, even with Horford. And you know, Horford is a really good interior defender, and he's a he's a he's a stout um, perimeter defender. But you know, he, there is a sort of just because of how slow footed he is in his age, you know, you do have the ability to get around him if you know you know in terms of like Luca and Spencer, they definitely mismatch hunted him to an extent at some points in the game, tried to, yeah. you know, set double screens to try and get Horford matched up or, you know, the Mavericks were pulling all the stops in that first half to see what they could do and try and um, get the, you know, correct matchup and scenario from those instances. But even then, I mean, you're not just going to be able to blow, blow by Horford time and time again. He's not that, you know, lackluster of a perimeter defender and, the Celtics do a really good job. Uh, like their, their double teams were so timely on Luca. I thought tonight, uh, just in terms of when their, uh, you know, their perimeter wings and um, guards would step up. Uh, I remember one specifically, like the second Luca got to the corner, uh, Marcus Smart and Robert Williams stepped up and doubled him hard and he had nowhere to go and it ended up going off of, out of bounds off Luca. I mean, I think that this is probably the, best defense in the league in terms of how taylor made it is to stop a luka Doncic, in my opinion 
No, for sure. I mean, everything they did tonight, I, I know, I understand like Luca was pretty banged up, whether it was chest or ankle, but even still, Luca was held to, I mean, seven of 23 shooting. Usually, I mean, we don't see those numbers from Luca. I don't think we've seen those numbers from Luca pretty much all season. Um, and yeah, I mean, just the point of attack, the way that the Celtics swarm, you know, they, they call the right doubles. Uh, I mean, this team is just defensively, they're really smart, you know, whenever they're lined up against a, a Luka Doncic type player, which I mean, there's really only one in the NBA, but yeah, with that being said, I, I mean, just looking at like, like rebounding categories and all this, like every number that I'm looking at is relatively the same. Like we weren't out rebounded by too much. And that says a lot. We were out rebounded by 10. I mean, points in the paint relatively the same only two point differential like it, it wasn't anything like that stuck out on the stat sheet that really like was dominant it was just the Celtics are just that much better no yeah 100 percent. and I mean the Mavericks you know did look to Spencer Dinwiddie to alleviate some of the stress from Luka in this game more so than we have seen I think really over this last stretch especially with how reliant they've been upon Luka just seeing as how good he is like you know, oh, it's like, oh, you know, there's no reason to defer to Spencer, you know, maybe one or two possessions right here because Luca is just going to be able to, you know, um, positively affect the offense in a manner in which, you know, Spencer is just simply incapable of. And that's not even an indictment upon Spencer, but it's just to, you know, show how good Luka Doncic is. But we saw like earlier in the season, you know, Spencer would handle the ball a little more, take some possessions off of Luca, And we saw that again tonight. Um, for the first time in really quite a while to where I can remember Spencer, like being a distinguished, a distinguished, like secondary ball handler him, you know, he shot 15 shots in this game. A lot of which came within the half court, not of, you know, not a ton of them were like transition, um, you know, getting an outlet pass and transition and pulling up for three things of that nature. Uh, a lot of them came in the half court and I mean, he actually got some good looks. He wasn't able, really able to get everything to drop, but um, I, I did like the way that they utilized using his speed and quickness off of, um, you know, and using it uh, to attack mismatches. I thought he had a decent first half. He did a decent job attacking, had 18 points on six of 15 shooting. He was doing a really good job getting to his spots. And when once the Celtics started stacking the paint, he was uh, deferring to the mid-range and, you know, using his, like, post fadeaways and things of that nature uh, to create some space for himself. Not, not everything really went in, but I think that that, you know, that's a way, obviously the Mavericks don't have a lot of ball handling, but, I think that there is, you know, real credence to the fact that, you know, Luca, while as good as he is, you can't expect him, you know, 60 and 50 and 50, you know, those were his point totals, uh, you know, obviously not in order, but against Houston, uh, San Antonio and New York, of course, uh, over that last week in terms of, you know, from December 23rd and then that December 27th game and then that New Year's Eve game. And, you know, that is wildly impressive. And I'm not taking anything away from Luca whatsoever, but he shouldn't have to be, you know, when Luca pops off for like 50 or 60, just cause he's feeling it every once in a while, you know, that's all fine and dandy and we can enjoy it. And then, you know, there'll be those games occasionally where he just has it going and, you know, you don't want to stop uh, feeding him whatsoever. But I mean, when he does that that much in a week, I mean, at least one of those games has to be a byproduct of the Mavericks just being so reliant upon him and, you know, him still just being that good. But I mean, he's really having to furbish all the offense for himself and I think I'd like to see the Mavericks um, as we go forward, even, you know, amidst the injuries, but like run some more offense for Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, have him, um, you know, run some maybe off ball actions for Luca. I know that that's 
something that this team, you know, whether it be in the Carlisle or kid regime is just completely negligent to doing. We very rarely see Luca as a screener, even though I do think they could open some things up, you know, um, I'm not an NBA coach, you know, we can, we can play fan GM and stuff. I think that's a little more fair, but you know, when, when we do start to get into the intricacies of coaching, I do have to, I, you know, kind of hold myself back because, you know, I, I rotations and things of that nature are, I think are okay to harp on and, I think it's definitely okay to apply criticism to Jason Kidd uh, from our perspective and say what he should be doing. Um, but we also have to recognize that we probably couldn't do it ourselves. Oh, no, like, exactly. you know, it's, it's um, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's so much intricacies that, you know, do you come down in terms of, you know, just being a coach? I mean, obviously you're not the general manager, but you're a manager of, you know, 17 individuals and you have all these different personalities on top of the basketball side of things. I'm not trying to make that argument whatsoever, um, but I, I do, you know, I wish rather that the Mavericks would use Luca off ball a little more. I, I think that that's something that could open things up for them, but also at the same time, I don't know if they have the personnel for that really to be, you know, to, to actually like benefit them in any sort of large action. Like, um, you know, they could go to like a split action scheme, but, you know, I think you have to have, you know, more dynamic ball handlers and, you know, a guy that can really be able to, you know, manage the um, decision-making, you know, as the post guy in that scenario, like they, they have some different things that they could go to, but it almost seems as if their personnel just limits them from doing things like that. And, you know, they just have to rely on Luca isolations uh, time and time again. And uh, we saw that more so in this game tonight, you know, Luca had a solid game in that first half you know, he was getting to his spots and extent, was getting banged up, was getting to the line, but, you know, you saw the shelf life in terms of how much, you know, he's been outputting in this seven game win streak catch up to him in that second half. And he just wasn't able to sustain what he was doing. And I mean, I think that that kind of sums it up in terms of, you know, he was missing a lot of layups and stuff. He was hesitant to attack at times. And I mean, I'm, I'm happy he was able to get some rest in the fourth quarter because it was well needed. Uh, yeah. Christian Wood in this game, what did you have to make of, his offensive performance, he did a good job on the glass with 12 rebounds. You know, we already talked about him defensively. Do you think that he had a, uh, you know, I, I think that to an extent he did have kind of just an off game in terms of shooting and he had a few layups that he kind of just whiffed. I really do think he honestly should have had like more like in the 20 to 25 range. Uh, but nonetheless, like I thought he, he didn't do anything that, you know, made me disgusted or didn't have any sort of defensive lapses, maybe barring a Grant Williams spin move that made me jump at the TV or anything like that. Uh, what did you have to make of his, his game? I, I think I was, for me, at least personally, I was um, I'm not happy, but I was content with the steadiness despite having an off shooting night and, um, and an off night in terms of his uh, offensive finishing in the interior. Yeah, you know, I thought, I'm going to be honest, he finished with 12 points. I thought he finished a little bit more than that. Uh, it definitely felt like he did. But nonetheless, you know, he was really active on the glass. I think that's the biggest thing that definitely stuck out to me. He grabbed a lot of offensive rebounds, five to be total. Um, and I, I, I just, you know, he created a lot of extra possessions for the Mavericks that, I mean, we didn't do anything with those possessions, of course, but it, 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 it they were there. Um, you know, I, I liked what he did. He was in the... Um, like him and Luca got active a little bit. Uh, I want to say he got a few of his points off that Luke uh, would pick and roll, but nonetheless, you know, it was definitely an off night for him. 
still not terrible at all. Um, I didn't think he had any like abysmal bad defensive rotations that like, I mean, sometimes there would be a wide open Grant Williams, but down low or um, there'd be, you know, at times we would see Al Horford sometimes just wide open, but that's, you know, the inability of the Mavericks to really guard the perimeter and you have to play help defense. Um, so I don't think that's really his fault nonetheless, but even still, I mean, not, a, not the most amazing game, but I just didn't feel like nothing stuck out to me. That was like, okay, like, you know, that that's terrible. Uh, like you said, but I, I you know, for a game, that's an off game. I still think it was a decent game for him. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I'm just, you know, happy that there was nothing in this game that would really could make Jason Kidd think, Oh, he needs to go back to the bench. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, I, I think will say, I, I know we shout him out at the top of the podcast, but um, in terms of Dwight Powell, um, he did have a good game and, you know, there's some limited minutes in the second half. He only played 16 minutes, uh, 16, almost 17 minutes, but he did a really good job hustling. Even though he was getting all his shots blocked, he was seemingly there to recover every single one of them, got eight rebounds and uh, got some points on the board. And um, that's just the type of guy he is. Uh, we do love his heart and his hustle. Um, he didn't really provide a whole lot more, but with the second unit tonight, he did a, a good job on that end. So um, always a, um, enlightening to see Dwight Powell, you know, provide for the community among other things. Oh yeah, for sure. And and the uh, and the baskets at American Airlines Center. I'm yeah. I'm sorry, I, I guys. They, they, we are we are running out of as I, as I glance at this <laughs> box score, st- uh, staring into the void of Reggie Bullock's zero points in 36 minutes. We I'm just uh I'm running out of narratives to to really roll with on this team in terms of um you know their flaws and what all they could do to patch them because. Um, it really just comes down to uh, they need to make some trades and <laughs> they don't have the assets to make said trades. So, you know, to add to Reggie Bullock's tally, uh, he shot one shot, of course, missed it. And he took a technical free throw and missed it. So, no, oh, he did. I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's actually a good point. You know, knowing seeing that uh, Reggie only shot one three, you could see. And I mean, I don't think I'd seen a defense really be able to manipulate the Mavericks in such a manner. Um, you know, if all else fails, the Mavericks are at least able to get some um, semi-open three-point shots. But, I mean, the Celtics do such a good job of being able to trap and recover, um, yeah. you know, regardless of what the other team's running. Because, I mean, Marcus Smart's ability to manipulate an offense just by, going, like, how he plays a screen was so uh, captivating to watch. I mean, whether he goes over or under – or um, hedges. I mean, they just do such a good. Like, I mean, even I mean, he's one of the only guys that like is guarding up on Luca that I like. You know, legitimately, I'm like not necessarily like. Well, I'm not like comfortable. I'm not like, oh, Luca's for sure gonna get to the rim, right? Like, he's like one of those guys. That, like, you know, while while obviously my confidence in Luca isn't completely just shot or anything, and I I still you know would would pick him in that matchup. It's like there is a certain um, underlying factor there with Marcus Smart that, I mean, even if he's trailing Luca, he does such good hands. Could you literally just poke the ball out? I mean, he was the defensive player of the year for a reason. Yeah. And seeing all these wings and guard, you know, you know, stellar defenders and Derek White, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, even their stars are, you know, obviously they have the measurables and the athleticism and the size, but everybody on that team, um, is bought on defense. And I know they had some defensive woes early in the season because of how historically good their offense was. And, you know, maybe just some uh, schematic issues in terms of incorporating some new guys with Brogdon and 
what have you. But I mean, they, they seem about as locked in as I've really ever seen a defense. And I mean, I, I don't know, man. I know, I know they're seventh in the NBA in defense and because of that, that start, but I project that to go up soon, especially as time Lord really starts to progress in terms of getting back from his knee. Cause he looked really good tonight, def- um, protecting the paint and switching on the guys. Cause there's just too much talent on that. end. I mean, maybe there's credence to the fact that they may be saving a little bit of uh, that energy up for playoffs or what have you, but I mean, they are just, I mean, so switchable. Right. And I mean, I get that that, occasionally can play to their downside if you know Horford gets um you know you get like Luca on Horford or Luca on Sam Hauser like you know just in terms of these Celtics how switch heavy they are that can play through their downside but besides that I mean they really just don't have any holes and I mean obviously the dynamic the dynamism that persists offensively having you know we talk about Brogdon uh, White, Smart, Tatum, Brown. I mean, Tatum and Brown are literally two of the top 10 players in the league. Spearheading, yeah. you know, these are the shot creators and playmakers. I mean, literally all the above, et cetera, three-level scorers, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, athletic, dynamic threats, have post games. I mean, they can do everything. And then just, you know, just as like a sort of like consolation prize, they have the ability to throw out Brogdon, like Derek White, Marcus Smart. I mean, all like very uh, palpable and capable shot creators and shooters and, you know, guys that can penetrate and kick. And I mean, none of those guys are bad passers by any means. I mean, I I just like, if I had to pick a team to win the NBA finals, it'd be the Boston Celtics. I, I just think there's such a, like holistically, they are the most complete roster in the league if they don't get injured. I get that there's in, uh, there's questions regarding Tatum's ability to lead a team and what have you. Um, but if I mean, if I really did have to pick a team to win the NBA Finals, I'd pick them. I, I just think that they're so deep. I mean, it's hard not to pick them to at least make the finals and win the East. Um, I mean, yeah, like across the board, everybody who played tonight for that I mean, team. Even, the, even their bench, like Lou Cornett's not terrible. Justin Jackson all was not bad. He played three minutes. Justin like, Jackson all of a sudden is a tertiary playmaker just because he's, he's, he's probably the worst guy on that team. But yeah, I mean, I, I, that team is just amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I it's a, man. It, it was a it was it was quite the sight to see this uh, kind of unfold for the Mavericks tonight. I mean, but yeah, I mean, outside of the guys that we kind of like really went in on, like Luca and. Uh, you know, Dinwiddie and, you know, Tim didn't have a good shooting game. He was like reluctant to shoot, but I mean, he couldn't really get any looks because the Celtics did such a good job of hedging and recovering, you know, off the screen and rolls. Like they just, they don't miss rotations. They don't miss rotations. Yeah. None of those guys do. I mean, that's, um, that's an invaluable trait of a defense to say the least. Um, I mean, I thought Frank was a complete non-factor. Bertans missed his only threes off his, sort of movement shooting that he was able to get. I mean, he, Bertans has a great ability to just be able to get open. So I think that for that reason that, you know, he was, he was able to get three threes up just due to his movement. I mean, it's hard for really any team to guard, but, you know, Kemba made a layup in his off of, off of like a missed closeout. But besides that, I mean, you got McKinley Wright and uh, JaVale Bucket in garbage time. AJ Lawson yeah. got a little run, didn't really get to do much, but yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was much. probably the most predictable game of the year. And um, just the Mavericks are talent depraved and they need 
Josh Green, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Maxi Kleber back. Uh, but that's going to be all for today, guys. Make sure to follow us on YouTube. If you guys are watching there, subscribe and like and comment down below. Uh, Mainstream Mavs, of course, on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Mainstream underscore Mavs. Um, you know, and give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Google Podcast, or wherever. Um, but, you know, very predictable game here for the Mavericks. Uh, we play New Orleans on Saturday. It is what it is. And yeah. uh, we will catch you guys in the next one. Bye-bye.